You're listening to Ethnic Life Story, Trail of Trees, Episode 27, Jackie King. Life Story Trail of Trees is a tribute project started by Springfield businessman Jim Malden in the early 2000s. Then, more than a decade later, the project reached Friends of the Garden at Nathaniel Green Close Memorial Park in Springfield, Missouri. Black gum trees were planted in 2012 at the northern edge of the park and symbolized the legacy left by ethnic community leaders. Each tree stands for an Ozark citizen who has left a lasting positive impact on their community through service, generosity, and tenacity. Each story is maintained and immortalized by a story keeper who has volunteered to ensure the legacy of the storyteller lives on. Pamela Curtis King, but everyone calls me Jackie. The reason for this is that during my last four years of school, I was required to study French, and the teacher, who was from France, wanted authenticity, so we were all given French names. Mine was Jacqueline, and so we girls used our French names even when not in school. It was great fun, and we certainly enjoyed putting on fake accents and calling each other by name. So it happened that when I met a young American serviceman at the Wimbledon Palace one night, I told him my pretend name, never imagining that he was my future husband, and it stuck. And so for all these years, I've been called Jackie by most, and still Madge by a few. I was born on September 5, 1933, in St. James Hospital in Bedlam, London. In London, we lived in the bottom flat of a three-story house, and we lived there until I was almost six years of age. My dad, at that time, in 1939, knew that war was pending with Germany, so he moved us out of the immediate London area and took us to what was called the Greater London Area, which is in the county of Surrey. Where we had lived originally is where all the power works were at the time, and it would likely be a target for bombs. My dad was well aware of that and moved us into what he hoped would be a safer location. The terrain of my new location was mostly of rolling hills and with more grass than I had ever seen in my young life. When I lived in the heart of London, there was always the smells and sounds of buses and trams. Then my family moved to Surrey on a new estate and I remember the smells of flowers and grass and the noise of construction going on daily, building more and more houses to accommodate the influx of city people moving to the suburbs. Eventually, many of my parents' siblings moved to this area for the same reason, to escape the city. My mom's name was Lillian Frances Williams Curtis. She was born in Peckham, London, on March 31, 1908. Her father, John Edward Williams, was born in Wales and was in the British Army when he met my grandmother, who at the time was the upstairs maid to the wife of his brigadier. I never knew my grandfather because he died from injuries of an accident at work. I knew my grandmother, whom he called Granny Williams, very well. 
Granny was a full-blooded Romani and a psychic, with the ability to see what was in the future, good and bad. Sometimes, when I was in her presence, she would stare ahead without saying a word, and then would suddenly snap out of her trance and carry on her conversation as though nothing had happened. Many times, she knew someone had died before being told, and would go to the person's house to see what she could do to help. All of her daughters and several of her grandchildren are blessed, or cursed, with this anomaly. I can honestly say that only a couple times have I experienced this feeling, and then to a much lesser degree than my mother or grandmother. I have told my children about this part of their heritage, and we have all kidded around about being part of a witchy family. When my son-in-law, Joey, joined the family, he learned a lot of the family's secrets, including Granny Williams' uncanny knack for predictions, and so he too enjoyed teasing me about my witchy powers. Of course, I used to jokingly threaten him that if he did anything to displease me, I would draw on my powers and he would be sorry. It was always good for a laugh. My dad's name was Thomas William Curtis. He was born December 18, 1899. Mom was a vivacious, loving woman with long, naturally curly hair and always laughing or smiling. She worked as an assembler in a munitions factory during the war, as did most women who were pregnant or nursing. After the war, she worked in a bakery for many years until she lost her sight. Dad was a very caring man, but very Victorian in his attitude, especially toward women. He thought women should act like ladies at all times, wear hats when they were going out, and if he could talk his wife and daughters into it, wear gloves as well. Sadly, they are both deceased now. Mom had a massive stroke at age 77 and died four days later. Dad died at age 87 from a congestive heart failure, and I was able to be with him for six weeks before he died. My brother was the firstborn, and I was the middle child, and then my sister was the youngest. My brother's name was Robert Alfred Curtis. He died in 1998. My sister's name is Lillian Florence Curtis Jarvins, and she lives with her husband in England. The person with whom I identify the most is without a doubt my mom. She was always there for me in moments of fear, such as during the war years, and in times of joy. We always had our talks over a cup of tea and a nice fire. I admired her for many reasons, but especially because it was hard to find food to feed her family because of the war rationing but I never heard her complain. I'm quite sure there were many times when she did without in order to put something on our plates. Many years later, when I questioned her about it, she would just smile and say, I always had my cup of tea and that was enough. After the move from the inner city in 1939, my family stayed in the same house where I grew up. I lived there until I married and came to the United States. During the cooler months, it was my job to clean out the fireplace in the morning and start the new fire for the day. I always pretended I was Cinderella. My sister and I had to keep the house clean on a daily basis. We entertained ourselves as children by looking for pieces of shrapnel from bombs, and when not sheltering from air raids, we played hopscotch and skipped rope. Since food was rationed, we never had full tummies, but occasionally we had treats and at other times we had horrible mistreats. 
The former was when a neighbor told us that a shop a few miles away had something called peanut butter and that we should take our empty jam jars to be filled. We had no idea what we were queuing up for, but were told it was tasty and was to be spread on bread. The latter was when another neighbor said the co-op shop around the corner had some meat, and so once again we queued up and discovered we would be eating whale meat that day. It was oily and black and horrible, but it filled a little hole in our tummies. My dad was able to grow some vegetables, so we survived, although each day was a challenge. My sister and I were encouraged to cook, but the absolute rule was that any mess we made, we had to clean up. Mom always used to say that a good cook always cleans up after herself, and I have kept that as part of my psyche my whole life, because even now, if I do any cooking or anything at all in the kitchen, I always clean up immediately, so I was taught well. We celebrated all the obvious holidays like Christmas and Easter, mostly the same way we do here in the United States, except that we had Father Christmas instead of Santa Claus. England has so many other days celebrating patron saints, etc., and there are also several bank holidays, which literally means that the banks close for business under a royal proclamation. Like most people, the Brits use all these holidays for relaxation. I started in infant school at age three, and then moved on to junior and eventually spent the last four years at Malmesbury Road Secondary School for Girls. In the first eight years, the school was mixed, or co-ed as it is called here, but the last four years I was in an all-girls school and was required to wear a uniform consisting of a navy blue drill slip with white shirt and striped tie. That was bad enough, but even worse was when I was evacuated from October 1944 to April 1945, living in the North Country and had to basically wear the same uniform with the addition of a Panama hat. How we Londoners hated that silly hat, but at least we didn't stand out, as everyone wore the same thing. All three schools were in walking distance of where I was living at the time. I finished high school at the age of 15, and immediately went to work for the government as a telephonist. At that time, I was given the choice of attending college two days a week, paid for by the government, and so I became a student at the Kingsway Day College for Girls in Holborn, London. Sadly, at the end of a year and a half, I decided, in my wisdom, that it wasn't much fun, and so I quit and once again became a full-time worker at the ripe old age of 17. When I worked at the GPO, the government post office, which controlled the telephone system, my money was spent on entertainment, clothing, and transportation. Money was also spent on room and board to my mom, which is tradition and expected when you go out to work. The distance from my house to work was about 18 miles, and I used public transportation consisting of a bus for the first part and a subway for about 15 miles. I would buy a season ticket each Friday to use for the following week. At this time, I started at Horse Ferry House in Victoria, London, and while there, I was sent periodically to other government offices to fill in for vacations, etc. I was thrilled one day when my supervisor told me I would be going to Scotland Yard the next day and would be there for about a month. During this time, I answered the 999 board for a short time. This would be the same as 911 here. Sometimes it got a little crazy, but the overall experience is something I look back on with fond memories.
For the last two and a half years before I came to the United States, I worked at the Duke of York headquarters, which is a military complex in King's Road, Chelsea, London. There were several regiments of soldiers there, including the Coldstream Guards, who were easily recognizable by their bearskin hats, with the red plume, worn on the right side, and their crimson jackets. The one constant in my life was my mom. The way she conducted herself, never having an unkind word for anyone, even though she dealt with the public daily and I'm sure had days where she could have exploded. She lived her life by the golden rule and encouraged her children to do the same. Having lived with her example all of my growing up years into my teen years and even after I got married, her way of life, her living by the golden rule, is the way I have chosen to live my life. I hope in doing so I have honored her. Growing up, I always thought I wanted to be an actress on the London stage. This ambition started when I was a child. During the war years, I joined a group called the Robinson Troop, and we entertained people who were bombed out. They would be placed in a shelter of some kind, a large community building, etc., and our little troop would dress up and we would go entertain them. Of course, the people, having just lost everything, were grateful just to see children having fun and just enjoying themselves. Eventually, when I did go to college at an all-girls school, we had to adapt to different parts, male and female, and after appearing in one of the productions at the Drury Lane Theatre in London, it became apparent that I was not very good at acting, so my goal changed. At that time, I had also just met my young man, so things just changed. It was fun at the time, but I would never have been one of the great ones, so I was wise enough to realize that and just gave it up. I did continue to do some theater work over the years. In fact, when I moved to the United States, I did some local theater work and enjoyed it, but again realized that it wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and put it to rest. Having majored in drama and journalism while attending Kingsway Day College, I dropped the drama part and decided I would just concentrate on journalism, and it took many years for that realization to come to pass. I do still love to write, but never had anything published, and I have many rejection slips, which is okay. I just write for fun now, and who knows, maybe one of these days. I left my parents' home at the age of 19, because that was when I got married, and I'm happy to say that we are still married all these years later. I met my young man at my favorite dance hall when he asked me to dance. After he trod on my toes a couple times, we sat down and talked instead. We dated for almost two years and eventually decided to marry, even though some people thought we were still too young. We were married on July 11, 1953. It was a beautiful, sunny day. My husband Tom is a good man and a loving husband. Our two girls rate him way up there as a father. He is caring, considerate, and a nice person to be with. Handsome, too. Tom and I have two daughters. There's Andrea, whom we call Andy. She's medium height, red hair, and the mother of our three grandchildren. Then there's Jennifer, whom we call Jen Jen. She's tall, with medium brown hair. Both are lovely young women with strong family ties. There have been some unexpected turns in my life. The most obvious, of course, was in my coming to the U.S. I was the child who was the homebody, and I never went far from home. 
Also, becoming a mother, since expert doctors had told me I could never conceive. After almost 12 years of marriage, I finally had a child, and six years later, I was blessed again. My parents were not churchgoers in the usual sense of the word, but as a child, I went to Sunday school. I have always believed in God, but as an adult, I don't attend church regularly. My belief in God has always been important at different times, but more importantly, I think as a child during the war, when I prayed harder, asking that we survive another night and then play another day. Most of my adult life has been in America, having come here as a young bride of 20. At first, we lived in North Dakota, since my husband was still in the Air Force, and then we moved to West Virginia, where his home was originally, and then to Indiana for his college education. Upon leaving college, we moved back to West Virginia and stayed there for 13 years until work finally brought us to Missouri. I'm not sure that I have ever had a so-called mission in life, but I have always felt that I am a representative of my birth country, England, and that people meeting me would assume that all English people are like me. To that end, my mission has been to act responsibly, be nice, and give a good impression to everyone I meet. I honestly feel that I have accomplished what I set out to do. Over time, I don't think my mission has been any different. I just live my life in a responsible way. My greatest accomplishments in life, without a doubt, would be one, staying happily married, and two, raising two children and watching them grow into responsible young women with strong family ties. Perhaps the lowest point in my life would be after being married for so many years with no children and being told by my OBGYN to go home and adopt, as I would never have any of my own. Fortunately, that low point ended when a couple of years later I found out I was pregnant. I am now retired, but since I never had a lifetime job, there have been no adjustments as such. My husband and I share chores around the house, and we enjoy each day. I haven't really become involved in the community, just trying to meet new people since we are relative newcomers here in town. I heard about the hospitality club in Springfield and joined that, so now I'm enjoying new friends. I also heard about and became a member of the British Sterling Club. This is a group of men and women who were born in the British Isles. We meet once a month in each other's homes and eat English goodies and drink lots of hot tea with milk. My husband and I spend a lot of time traveling, and when at home, we do things with our daughter and grandchildren. I enjoy going to shows and lunching or having dinner with friends. I really love to entertain in my home. I have three grandchildren, Chelsea, Bailey, and Keaton. They live in the same town as me, and I get to see them very often, and I love being with them. I consider that I've had a very good life, and the only thing I would have done differently, had it been within my control, would be to have children earlier, so that we could have grown up together. I don't honestly think I would want to relive any of the events of my life. I think I have made some mistakes, but also have done some wonderful things, and I don't really want to relive any of them. Been there, done that. My wish for future generations would be peace, of course. Almost as high on my wish list would be that future generations would have the support of a loving two-parent family, which is sadly lacking in so many families today. Tom and I lived in Sykeston, Missouri, which is located in southeast Missouri, 
For 29 years, and both of our girls had moved over to southwest Missouri, they would ask us from time to time to come live near them. So one day we came to southwest Missouri after finding a piece of ground that we liked in Ozark and built our home there, moving in on December 9th, 1999. It worked out well for everybody, and we have been truly happy there and are gradually making new friends. I have found the people here to be very friendly, and in many instances, when people hear my accent, they would invariably ask if I was from England, and when I would answer yes, they would say they'd been there or wanted to go there, and it was just nice to be able to talk with them about my birth country. We found that people, generally speaking, are very open and honest here, and that is a nice experience. We gradually have become members of different small organizations, such as in Ozark, we are members of the On the Road Again Club, which is an organization that belongs to the Parks and Recreation Department, and we go to Branson and other places of interest for trips, and it is very enjoyable. We definitely feel we are welcome here and have never had any problems at all. Throughout the years that I have lived in the United States, I have tried to maintain my cultural identity to a degree in that I have never tried to lose my accent, nor my love of tea. However, I have always tried to blend in with my surroundings, embracing the old adage, when in Rome. Of course, in my particular case, I look like everybody else. My skin is the same color, and so I am automatically accepted until I presume I would do something wrong at which time I would probably experience some difficulty. It's very hard to think for people of a different skin color to come into a community and be as readily accepted as I have been, and for that we should all take some blame. My advice, although it sounds very simple, would be to embrace everyone and offer help and information if asked for. In conclusion, I must quote my mom one last time. One of her favorite sayings was, where there's life, there's hope. This was always said after something had happened to one of us, which at the time seemed insurmountable, but in retrospect proved to be trivial. To this end, I would now like to share the following verse that I came across several years ago and have adopted as a creed in my life. I don't know who the author is, but I will be forever grateful to whoever put the pen to paper and wrote the following words. I am wounded, but I am not slain. I will lay down and bleed a while, and then I shall rise again. This is an edited version of King's Story. You can read each story in its entirety at thelibrary.org or by clicking the link in the description of this post. The storykeeper for Jackie King is Thomas King. Music is Bach Cello Suite No. 3 in C Major by Colin Carr at freemusicarchive.org under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivative, 3.0 United States license. Story excerpts edited and read by Diana Dudenhafer. <laughs>